in that way. Gifts that grow. If I've never met you, my name is Luke, and it's a privilege to share a message with you today in our series as we look at the gifts that Jesus gives to His church in order to grow His church to maturity. Have a look with me at our, at our series verse we've been looking at. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, says this, So Christ Himself, who is it? It's Christ Himself gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to do what? To equip His people, the church, for works of service so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up until what? Until we reach unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, until we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The idea behind the series is that Jesus, in His sovereign, good, and perfect plan, has designed it in such a way that His church, uh, He gives gifts to His church. Now, what are those gifts? We see these gifts are gifted people. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, teachers, these gifts are given. And, and, and what happens? All of us, as each of us is given a gift, we build one another up and the body grows toward maturity. Now, we're looking at each of these gifts, not the pastor-teacher gift. They've got a lot of um, pl- airplay in our story. We've looked at apostles. We've, we're looking at today. Or t- next week, we're looking at, and for the next two weeks, prophets. Today, we're looking at uh, the E word, evangelism. Okay, it's probably one of the, the one you are least looking forward to, I'd imagine, if we were taking a poll, hey, probably, some of you chuckling there, you know what I mean, um, the E word is evangelist, right, because we know, most Christians know, we're supposed to evangelize other people, you know, win souls, convert the heathen, save other people, right, we're supposed to be witnesses, right, to look for opportunities, even to pray for other op- opportunities to tell people of God, about God. That's what we're supposed to do, right? It's the duty of Christians. That's what a lot of us think, you know? But if we're honest, many of us really struggle to do that, don't we? And then in our struggles, because we know we should, we feel guilty about it. Um, and, and so this is probably the one you're most nervous about today. The E word and the T word in Christianity, evangelism and tithing. Oh, give us the shivers. Give us the shivers in the church, right? Strangely enough, though, when you look at the world today, it seems that pretty much everyone else except Christians is comfortable talking about their faith and their belief. It's cool to give credit to the universe, to have some guru who's helping you in life. It's very progressive. You're very forward-looking. You're very, like, you know, you know what I mean? It's very cool. And even on my son's valedictory last year, the main address was about a pilgrimage to the top of a Buddhist holy place. I'm not knocking other people sharing their beliefs and their practices. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not knocking at all. I'm just pointing out how acceptable it is, even in some instances, esteemable to be sharing and talking about your faith as long as it's not Christianity. It's just seen to be quite popular and quite, uh, uh, heck, I mean, um, some, many of you won't know what I'm talking about. Even to be a furry today is, and many of you will not know what that is, please ignore that. But it seemed to be like, wow, it's cool. It's, uh, it's very people, you know, people talk about it. It's, but yet talking about Jesus is very awkward. Uh, you're instantly even mentioning that scene as being pushy and even offensive to others. You know what I'm talking about? A recent Barna study found this, that 47% of the millennials believe that it is wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in the hopes that they will, become, they will come to share the same faith. It is wrong, 47% of millennials. Labels like Bible bashing or Bible thumping 
and hostility toward Christianity leave many of us feeling insecure when it comes to sharing our faith. And yet we feel conflicted too. We feel conflicted because we genuinely want to share our faith with us. We genuinely want to see our loved ones come to see and to know the love of God. And so this longing within us doesn't often translate into actual evangelism as much as it translates into guilt about feeling what we, what we should be doing, but we're not. And I think many of us get stuck in this place. And yet when we read the Bible, it's clear that evangelism is part of our faith. Psalm 96 verse 3, declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all peoples. Isaiah 12 verse 4, give praise to the Lord, proclaim His name, make known among the nations what He has done, and proclaim that His name is exalted. This is totally part of what it means to be a believer, and yet we really struggle. And so today I really want to try and help us as we look at this uh, gift that grow and evangelism. The big idea today is the best evangelists are delighted believers who are enjoying the goodness of Jesus. The best evangelists are delighted believers who are enjoying the goodness of Jesus. Just allow those words to sink in. Key word here, delighted believers. I was delighted this morning when someone who did not know what I was preaching about today came to the prayer meeting and prayed five times using the word delight this morning. Where's Claire? Claire, you, you, you prayed. You just, you, 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 I, I counted it. I eventually, eventually, I had to start because you just kept praying this word delight. It, the best evangelists are delighted believers who are enjoying the goodness of Jesus. The early church grew because the first followers were overwhelmed. They were overcome with wonder at Jesus. They were overjoyed at the redeeming work of Jesus in their lives. They were unable to be quiet because they were so captivated by this Savior who was unlike any other they had ever seen. They were in awe of Christ. And so evangelism for them, it wasn't a duty. It wasn't a discipline. It wasn't like shining your shoes or brushing your teeth. It was rather the overflow of the delight that was welling up in their hearts as they couldn't contain the wonder that they'd discovered and been invited into. Delighted believers, stunned by the goodness of Jesus, are the best evangelists. Now, I came across a book I think it was Rigby who shared it with us first. Called, um, it's by Michael Reeves and Daniel Hames. It's called God Shines Forth. I read this book in preparation for this message. And so much of what this book captures comes through in this message. How the nature of God shapes and drives the mission of the church. I would highly recommend it to you. It's just a beautiful book. And this, brilliant, this book does a brilliant job at diagnosing the E-word evangelism dilemma and sharing a remedy with us as Christ's uh, church. The premise of the book is often we struggle with evangelism, and we struggle with evangelism because our view of God is a little bit out of sync. Uh, we have an incorrect view of God, and in particular, we have an incorrect view of God's glory. And this view of God tends to cause us to trip up when it comes to evangelism in particular. Unless we find God to be the most wonderfully delightful, beautiful being in all of the universe, we won't share Him confidently with others. If you're not personally enjoying God and being delighted by Him, you're never going to commend God to others. It's what Michael Reeves and Daniel Hames pick up on. And in particular, the understanding of the word glory. The God of glory. 
without answering aloud, what does the word glory mean? Think about it to yourself. What does glory mean? It's a word we often use, we often sing about. What does the word glory mean? How would you define glory? Again, without answering out loud, does God share glory or does God receive glory? Does God share glory or does God receive glory? Primarily, is God a glory sucker or is God a glory sharer? Take a look at the title that Paul uses for Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. It's a title. It's a name that he gives to Jesus. Jesus is called the Lord of glory of glory. The Greek word there we have is doxa. It's most closely associated with the English word we use today, reputation. It's who we know or understand somebody or something to be. But it's, it's, it's not just that. It's not limited to that because it, it's, it's also uh, enhanced by the Old Testament concept of glory, which is the Hebrew word kavot, which means a weight or the radiance of something, the weight of something, its substance, its mass, its, its radiance as well. It's what shines out of something. It has connotations of both substance and radiance as well. And so look at the way the writer to the Hebrews describes God's glory. Hebrews 1 verse 3 to 5. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Writer to the Hebrews writing after Christ. So you've had the Old Testament. Christ has come in the Gospels. And now he's writing to believers. And in the last days, he has spoken to us by his son, capital S, Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. Catch this verse three. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The big thing I want us to see here when it comes to glory is Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of His being. Jesus uh, is God God sharing His glory, revealing the substance of who He is. Uh, In Jesus, God, if you will, overflows who He is into the world. You see how how deeply personal this is for God? Because... because, uh, Jesus is a person. He's the person of God. It's not just that God is shining out a substance like light or sound or something. But, but, but in Jesus, God is overflowing and sharing His very self with us. Check out Michael Reeves and Daniel Hames said it like this. They said, Jesus is in Himself the radiant display of the reality of God. Moreover, He is to us the gift of God's very self. I know we're in the middle here, track, just keep leaning in here. It's going to make a lot more sense as we keep going. Jesus is himself the glorious display of God. Jesus, Jesus is God's glory on display for us to see as humanity. It's why Paul calls him the Lord of glory. But look at the flow and trajectory of glory. Is this, is this glory sucking or is this sharing and overflowing? God is always giving. He is always sharing. He is always generous. He is always kind. He is overflowingly good all the time. 
this is who God is. God is an outward river flowing in generosity, not a puddle that we all have to keep running towards to fill up and to keep propping up and to keep wet in case he runs out. God is an infinite source gushing over of goodness and glory as opposed to a needy, anemic God. And so our evangelism is not trying to prop up God and keep as many in so that we can feel good about ourselves because we've got a lot in the club now. As much as, as it's about God's mission to fill the world with His goodness. We're talking about glory. Let me ask you another question. Where is the glory of God most clearly visible and on display? Don't answer out loud. Think to yourself. Where is the glory of God most clearly visible and on display? Where do we most clearly see the glory of Jesus? In the book of Revelation, we have this vision that John gets invited into. It's It's as if in the material world, for a second, the veil, the curtain is pulled. You know, like if you're watching a play, you're watching a drama, and someone kind of pulls back the curtain. You can see behind the scenes as to what's really happening. The book of Revelation is a little bit of that. It's John getting a sneak peek as he sees into the ongoing reality, the spiritual realm of what's going to happen and what's really happening in the world. And there John gets this vision of what's going down. And he sees in this vision a throne. It's a scene of the most incredible glory you could ever imagine. It's a scene where in Revelation chapter 5, where where you see the sparkle of precious stones. I mean, John, John is trying with the limited language he has to describe this vision of Glory, if you, if you will, you know. And, and, and so he speaks of sparkling like precious stones. He speaks of rainbows of color. He speaks of thunder and lightning and burning torches and mighty angels and all the saints from past and present and future all praising. And at the center of it all is the living God. So you've got this vision of this throne, right? All of these things surrounding the throne. The center of it all is God. And... Uh, and in God's hand is this great scroll, which we learn through the book of Revelation. It, it, it contains the meaning of all history. It's the great purposes of God through the ages. And the moment comes at the kind of climactic moment of, the, of this, this meeting around this throne for somebody to open this great and mighty scroll, right? This is the moment. Who's going to open the scroll? That's the big question. Who deserves? Who, who, do, who do we possibly call up onto here to, to open the scroll where the mysteries of history and the plan and purposes of God are revealed? And then someone comes, I think, maybe and whispers. One of the elders sneaks off and whispers to John. It's okay. Uh, it's okay. We're going to find someone to open the scroll. We read about this in, in verse 5, Revelation 5, verse 5. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. We, do not weep because, because John's perplexed. He's saying there's such an incredible, uh, such an incredible task the, to, to, to unwrap the scroll before everybody. Who's it going to be? Is anyone worthy? Is there anyone who could possibly do this? And, 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 and John starts to weep. He's, he, no, surely there's no one who could possibly do this. One of the elders says to him, Do not weep. You see, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. 
he is able to open the scroll and it's seven seals. Who's it? It's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And it's exactly what we would expect at the climactic moment of all of history with all the elders and the angels and the thunder and the lightning and the rainbows and everything all gathered around. The moment where the scroll, the, the, the key to understanding all of history comes. Who would it be? Who, who should come? It's the roaring lion, triumphal, the king of all the animals. The, w- w- the animal with the most power and strength, his golden and freshly palm olive conditioned mane waving in the air as he makes his way up to the top. What better pedigree to open the seal than a roaring lion, correct? And if we're honest, and let's just slow down for a second and pause here, there's a little part of us that wishes we were the lion, isn't it? The little part of us that wishes, oh gosh, maybe, maybe I could. Maybe, maybe this could be my moment. Maybe I, could, maybe I could be at the center of all of this action. Maybe I could be the conquering lion. There's a part of all of us that wishes we were the conquering lion, that we could walk up there and take center stage and just for a moment come and get a little bit of glory as well. Something in our human hearts wants to suck glory for ourselves. It's why we wish we were the conquering lion. You see, our human concept of glory, and this is what I've been trying to build towards today, is inward our human concept of glory is inward and it's toward ourselves. And we'd expect the moment to, to go like, it, it would make sense to us that the great and conquering lion would walk up the stairs, take center stage, and there would be streamers and fireworks and drum rolls and music, maybe even a smoke machine as the victor takes his place. Because we think glory must come to me. It's about glory sucking. And evangelism can be like, like when we think of God like that, like, like we've got to just keep, keep bringing the glory to him. We've got to keep, we've got to keep this anemic puddle that, that needs glory wet because it might run out. It might be that one of the other religions takes over. And, wh- and, and then what? You know, so we better. It's, it's about neediness. And it's about becoming strong. But as John watches, and the one who is worthy, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is there to open the scroll. And as he appears, verse 6, And then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. This great, mighty, conquering lion appears, and it's a lamb who'd been killed. And he opens the scroll, this lamb, and the whole host of heaven, past, present, and future, they sing aloud in verse 9. And what do they sing? They sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God the persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. Everything in us thinks, oh, the, you're drawing it to himself, the strong conquering lion. Yet, what is he? He pours his life out until there's nothing left. He, be, he comes not as a lion. He comes as a lamb, and he shares, and he gives, and he, and he lays his life down. And, 
And, and, it's, and it's in the cross of Jesus that the, the substance, the nature of who God really is and what God is really like is most clearly radiated. It's where the glory of God is most clearly seen. And it's not glory sucking. It's sharing. It's generosity. It's kindness. It's on the cross that God pours His life out. It's on the cross that God gave. He came. He loved. He served. And He pours His life out to redeem and to save the world that He made. And this is where Michael Reeves says, in the this act of self-disclosure, God says to His people, this is who I really am. All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. What kind of God is this? He's not a glory sucker. He's a giving, sharing, glory, overflowing, goodness God. God is always giving. He is always loving. He is always overflowing His goodness to creation and His redemption. In fact, that's where we as the church get our mission and our evangelism from. Have a look at what Reeves and Haim say here. The very being of God is outwardly propulsive. Think of the contrast between a little puddle and we all got to bring our cups to... The very being of God is overflowing. It's outwardly propulsive. God, in having glory, what does He do with it? Does He keep it? Does He try and get more? No, He radiates it. In having a word, He speaks. In having a son, He loves. It is His very nature to shine, to communicate, and to give Himself in relationship. This is the beating heart of mission. It's God's glory, His own naturally overspilling life showcased in His Son. It's mission's rationale. It's mission's motor. You see, see, mission's motor is not duty. It's not discipline. It's not I have to because, man, God really needs us to prop this thing up, to keep the shares up, you know, etc., etc. No, it's a God who never stops giving who never stops loving, who is always overflowing goodness and mercy and justice into the world. It's what God is. It's, it's, it's who He cannot but be. Mission is, as, as, as they continue, only ever our being caught up in the already gushing tide of blessing that flows from the heart of the Father in the Son. It's quite a beautiful picture, isn't it? You see, if your view of God is an anemic, needy God who's needing more followers, then we'll be lame missionaries and evangelists. While I was worshiping on Wednesday, we had Terry with us, and someone had shared a post on our neighborhood WhatsApp group, and they said it was Victoria Falls, but it was a false post. But but anyway, I could not get this video clip out of my mind. I wanted to share it with you here as a, a picture of what I think just describe something of what God is in some ways. Guys, guys. Yeah. Scuba now. Yeah. Hello. I don't know where it is. just imagine standing, I don't know where it is, I, I could just imagine standing, you, you don't get the feeling like, oh, this is going to run out any moment, oh, no, we're going to keep bringing more, oh, no, 
hey, you, you get the feeling like this is never going to stop. There's enough going around for everybody, right? It's not a, it's not a picture of scarcity. And, and, and I think this is what, when we read the Scriptures, when you understand the flow of God through the Bible, when you look at the way Paul speaks of glory, and when you look at the way God reveals Himself in Jesus, we understand and we see a God of infinity, of no lack, of no scarcity, who is always giving, always, always speaking life into the world and giving birth to creation that grows and goes. God is sharing and radiating glory into the world. He's not an anemic God trying to get for himself as much as he can so that he can survive, right? And as Christ followers, we need to see within the context of evangelism and mission that this beautiful, glorious, self-giving, already on mission God is at work in the world. And you and I get swept up in the current of what God is doing when we do this. That's evangelism. And so when you delighted in this glorious lamb on the throne, he blows your parent. He turns the, he turns your view of life in the world upside down in the most beautiful way. You can't help but talk about it. We overflow. So how then shall we live? How do we live as evangelists? It's often said, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words, right? It sounds beautiful. It's also profoundly arrogant. I know, maybe took the wind out of a little bit of ourselves there. You see, the assumption is this. As people see my life, they will fall down and want to worship Jesus. Yes, they will. One look at me, and you'll be coming and asking, wow, I've never seen anybody like you. Ever. Tell me, please, what's your secret? At which point we go, well, I mean, I, I try, but Jesus, Jesus is, it doesn't work like that, does it? Never worked like that in my life anyway. As if they'll see the amazingness of our lives and think, it must be Jesus. I love the sentiment, don't get me wrong. Guys, if we're going to just talk with our mouths and we're not going to live it with our lives, we'll lose any credibility. And Jesus does call us. To, to live this out in our lives. Make no mistake. But I think we sometimes tell ourselves this, this, this thing of like, just preach at all times and sometimes use words, as a way of letting ourselves off the hook when it comes to actually sharing the gospel. And when I said sharing the gospel, again, it, it's sharing the news of the goodness of the person and the love of Christ. Because maybe we're, we're not that delighted. And so we, we let ourselves, and we go into kind of passive, quiet, in the back corner mode where we don't have to do this. The problem is, it's, uh, well, well, the honest truth is, it's not enough. A and my life, and probably yours too, doesn't clearly enough display the wonder and beauty of Jesus. Yet throughout the Scriptures, Christians are called to proclaim the gospel of Christ. Christians want to renew and transform society. I'm all for like Christians going into business, going into education, going into arts and accounting and agriculture, going into politics and plumbing and, and, and transforming the way society works. I love that. That's part of God's gospel mission. But, but not everybody can do that. And I think, but everybody, I don't know how to switch that off. It happens all the time. I'm so sorry. I, 
I think everybody can proclaim the, the goodness of Jesus to their neighbors in their life. God in his wisdom has willed the world to work in such a way that somehow when we share the good news of Christ, scales fall off people's eyes. Not all the time. I'm not, I, I, I don't want to set up a reality that when you go out there today, because Luke gave the sermon today, now, now everything's going to change. And when you go out there and you say these words, then oh, fireworks. Oh, wait, wait. We're slipping into the trap again, aren't we? Um, glory, smoke machine. It doesn't always work like that. Sometimes you take big opposition. The Bible speaks of how the eyes of our world have been blinded to the reality of God. But, but it does. God brings his kingdom as we proclaim the excellencies of the one who is truly on mission. As we go out, and, and I'm going to use the word preaching, but it's, it's really talking about sharing, overflowing Christ's love and goodness and redemption of all things through the cross. It's an outward flowing mission as you talk about the wonder of Jesus. Is there anything more beautiful in all the world to talk about? I mean, I, I'm, I'm married to the most incredible woman in the world, and she's so lovely. And it's so, I mean, you think, you'd think, even, even me, I'd be tempted to just talk about Lauren all the time. But yes. But Lauren's not the pinnacle of my life. Oh, I love my children. Right now, my son Ben is playing in a, the semifinal of the Pitt Can Cup at Redham. And I just, as everything in my dad heart, just wants to be on the side shouting and getting in trouble with the referee and all of that stuff. Just want to back my boy. But he's, no. There's nothing that comes close to proclaiming the wonders of Jesus. How do we do this? By overflowing delight because our hearts are filled with wonder at who he is. And when you share Christ, here's the thing. I'm not talking about honing the perfect strategy to get the right words so that when you say it, it's like you, you've, you've got the technique for pitching Jesus, right? I think there were a lot of books written about evangelism that are a little bit like that. Or you memorize a track and you practice it like a formula so that when you say it like a spell, someone's going to come under the power of what you said, right? I'm sorry, if you're new to the church, this is weird for you to hear. I apologize. But if you're not new to the church, you're going, well, I've seen that movie. Yes, I have. You know, we, we really have. This is, this is about overflowing in wonder, the goodness of God. It's about this great and glorious Jesus who everything in our human hearts expected the roaring lion. And yet, as much as he's a roaring lion, he came as a lamb who was slain so that he could give, so that he could serve, so that he could love, so that he could in kindness transform this world and restore its beauty. And all of the goodness that was left within us as human beings could be transformed. Even the darkness could be, could be put away and could die in order that goodness would flourish. It's this kind of God. And when, when that is just gobsmackingly amazing to you, when you look at a world that says glorify yourself, put yourself on Twitter, make yourself for this, everybody will follow you. And, and there's God who just gives it all away. And that is the most compellingly beautiful thing to you. Then you want to talk about him, not in a form you lay because you've honed it down and you just lovingly sharing. That's the heart of evangelism. 
We're not offering the world our newly refurbished lives. We're not offering fancy homes, promises of new jobs, flashy clothes. No, we proclaim Christ, our eternally loving and kind God. Because the reality is every single one of us are, are evangelists about what we're most excited about in life. Whether that be your business, your multi-level marketing scheme, your new diet. Um, you know, we, we, we've all seen this in life, you know. The, the, whatever that is, you know, plant-based, whatever, whatever. We all get really excited about these things that we rally behind, you know. And today I want to make a case that, no, no, let's just get first things first. Let's not allow our human way of viewing Christ and glory to cause us to diminish who Christ really is. And when we see Jesus as the self-giving, limitless, good God, you realize how unlike anything else in the world He is and, and delight in Him. That's why we worship. And when we do that, I think we, we, get, we get the privilege of proclaiming Him, not in pushy, let me turn up my music so everybody in the neighborhood has to hear what I'm saying, even if they don't want to, ways, but in loving ways through our lives, we share and proclaim Him to others. Make sense? Big idea today. The best evangelists are delighted believers who are enjoying the goodness of Jesus. Where are you at? Christ follower maybe of many years, is Jesus still the most delightful, wonderful, compelling desire of your life? Has evangelism become a duty or a discipline? Maybe you feel guilty because you're not doing all you are doing out of drudgery because you've lost sight of the wonder and magnificence of this unlike any other Savior that is Christ. Let's come back to John's vision. Let's come back to Jesus' revelation on the cross. This is who God is. This is where the glory of God is most clearly shone. It's in the cross of Christ. As He gave, as He loved, as He overflowed into the world. And see your voice as being added into that glorious flow of water that will never dry up as he floods and transforms our world can we stand together we're going to share communion together i mean what a great place to share communion i've quite loved the way that we've been sharing communion for the last few weeks and so if we can continue that way with some just some of the members of this church here would you mind just um picking up either some grape juice or some bread and just sharing it amongst us as a family and should we hand that out? Thanks, Mel. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks, Jinty. I can't see who else there. Is there anyone else in all the world that looks like our God Jesus? No one. No husband, no wife, no friend, no parent, no child, no job, no lottery ticket. Thanks, James. None.
for such a privilege. We've been invited into the greatest story the world will ever know. Thanks, bro. Jesus, this bread, this grape juice, although tiny little bits here, I don't do any way to capture the wonder of how much you gave. Jesus, we look today at the great throne, and therein is immortalized the cross forever in the shape of a lamb who was slain. And we recognize that the most powerful being in all the universe put himself there in order to give to the world that you made, Jesus. It's just extraordinary. And it's in this place that we are truly humbled again, Jesus. It's just, it's, it, God, our hearts are one. We allow our minds to try and imagine that throne room. Thunder and lightning, bolts, precious jewels sparkling, all the elders, a rainbow of many colors, saints past, present and future gathered around you, Jesus, and you at the center of it all, the greatest giver, the greatest lover. Jesus, we receive that right. You are a glory sharer. You overflow. You give. And right now, as we eat and we drink, we remind ourselves all that we receive from you, Jesus. What is it that you need as you contemplate the week before you? What is it that Christ has called you to, that you need to draw from him strength and courage and grace energy even, to live the way He's enabling you to live. We draw from you now, Christ, the, the limitless giver. We stand like that mother and child in the face of those falls, and we realize our needs are so eclipsed by your goodness, Jesus. Perhaps you're here today and you're not a Christ follower yet. You're still working out what you believe. But maybe today, today was understanding God afresh. Is gonna, actually, that's, that's the thing that's going to swing you. That's the thing where you realize, goodness gracious, I have never understood a God to be like that. Everywhere I look, people and contender gods, it's all about them. And yet, here is a God who gave, who loved, and who never ceases to do that. God, I'd never understood you like that before. But that's the kind of God I want to get swept up in that river. Then why don't you today take bread and take grape juice? And for the first time you say, God, I take you into myself as you take me into yourself. You're stepping into that river, if you will. And you're saying, God, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? And would you make me to be part of this mission of yours in the world, Jesus? Let's eat and let's drink and let's sing together.
we remind ourselves of that beautiful moment coming.